0: Good to see you this morning. I want to welcome back uh, the hills? It's uh, nice to see you again. Uh, you look you look even better than you do in Zoom. I should. I lost forty pounds. Let us open in prayer. Our heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. We know that each one of us has to come and have a personal relationship with you, but that you also call upon us to come together to get the strength, the the knowledge that we have, that we learn from being with you as a family, Lord. So may this time together strengthen our our ties, both with our church family and, and with you, that we learn more We learn to be more and be more like you would have us be. This we ask in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's worship our Lord.
1: Good morning. 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 Doing God's will. Doing the will of God from the heart. We um, We are admonished to seek out the will of the Lord. In Ephesians 5.17, we read, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand that the will of the Lord is. Some people, however, (laughs) misunderstand the will of God. They think it must be harsh, joyless thing, intended to make us miserable. Um, But listen, God's will is from God's love. If you love someone, you will want to make them miserable, Will you want to go out of your way to punish him if he doesn't do exactly what you tell him to do? No, of course not. Not if you really love him. The same thing is true about God's love. He loves us, and because he loves you, he cares about what happens to you. He loves you too much to let you wander aimlessly through this life without meaning or purpose. The Bible says, You will show me the path of life, in your presence the fullness of joy. Covet God's will for your life more than anything else you do. To know God's will and to do it is life's greatest joy. The hope for today, a Christian will never experience true contentment or peace outside the will of God. We experience the most joy when we are living excuse me, we experience the most joy not when we're living in this material abundance, but we are living in the obedience of the Lord.
2: Yes.
3: Great and mighty
2: is the Lord our God. Great and mighty is He. Lord our God, great and mighty is He. Lift your banner, let the anthems ring, praises to our King. Great and mighty is the Lord our God, great and mighty is He. Great and mighty is the Lord our God great and mighty is he great and mighty is the lord our god great and mighty is he lift your banner let the anthems ring praises to our king great and mighty is the lord our god great and mighty is he great and mighty Colorado. Joy ever yeah. and beyond. Yeah.
4: scripture reading today comes from Leviticus 19, verses 1 and 2 and 15 and 18. The Lord also said to Moses, give the following instructions to the entire community of Israel. You must be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Do not twist justice in legal matters by favoring the poor or being partial to the rich and powerful. Always judge people fairly. Do not spread slanderous gossip among your people. Do not stand idly by when your neighbor's life is threatened. I am the Lord. Do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Confront people directly so you will not be held guilty of their sin. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You must obey all my decrees. Do not mate two different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two different kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven from two different kinds of thread. And if you'd like to stand as we say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
2: Whosoever heareth, shout, shout the sound. Spread the blessed tidings all the world around. Spread the joyful news wherever man is found, whosoever will may come. Whosoever will, whosoever will, send the proclamation over vale and Hill. Tis a loving Father calls the wonder home, whosoever will may come. Whosoever cometh, need not delay, now the door is open, enter while you may. Jesus is the true, the only living way, whosoever will may call. Whosoever will, whosoever will, send the proclamation over tis a loving father calls a wonder home whosoever will make come whosoever will the promise secure whosoever will forever must endure whosoever will tis life forevermore whosoever will make Proclamation over Vale and Hill. Tis a loving father calls the wonder home. Whosoever will they come. Whosoever will, whosoever will send the proclamation over Vale and Hill. Tis a loving father calls the wonder
3: home.
2: Whosoever will they come.
0: Our New Testament reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through 46. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in the religious law, tried to trap him with this question Teacher, Which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based upon these two commandments. Then, surrounded by the Pharisees, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? They replied, he, he's the son of David. And Jesus responded, then why does David, speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit, call the Messiah, my Lord? For David said, the Lord said to my, to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Since David called the Messiah my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? No one could answer him. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Put them in their place, huh? Please <laughs> join me in the responsive reading we bless you son of seed and harvest and we bless each other that the beauty of this world and the love that created it might be expressed through our lives and be a blessing to others now and always amen let us pray Heavenly Father all belongs to you all came from you all originated from you and we know you had your son be the one to do this creations for you and lord you have entrusted us lord you you love us enough to trust us with these gifts that that are yours but you call on us to give back to share with others to share your word to share your love So, Lord, as the gifts we give today, we ask that they be used for that purpose and that whoever sees them or receives them understands that they were given because of the love you have shown us. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to talk to
5: you this morning about, I think, a very... um, very important process um, in our spiritual walk, and that is about forgiveness. Um, that we, you know, we are called upon as believers to to really adopt forgiveness as a way of life. Uh, not just it's not just a one-time thing, but a way of life. And that's what we're going to be talking about. And you know, we all get hurt in life, and especially you know, usually I'm. Always by other people, uh, and sometimes, unfortunately, by other Christians. Now, I imagine you know some of you here, probably all of you here, have had been hurt by other Christians, and that, it seems like that is most difficult for us uh, when we're hurt by other Christians. And if I were to ask you this morning, you know, share your stories of times when you've been forgiven, um, we probably will be here till next week. <laughs> sharing all those stories. Uh, you know, there's, a, there's a, a whole lot of times, I mean, <clears throat> you know, that's just life. Life is going to be, we're, we're going to get hurt. Uh, but I want to start out with a story from a friend of mine, uh, Chuy Perales. And <laughs> Chuy and his family lived eight years in Pakistan as a missionary. Uh, Pakistan, as you know, is a really rough place, Afghanistan and Pakistan, and, and he lived um, he said two blocks from where the Taliban started. So it was a, it's a rough area, and, and the Pashtun um, people group that he was ministering to is one of the roughest groups, one, roughest people groups in the world. Uh, it's really a rough people group. And in the Pashtun culture, shame is quickly dealt with. That's, that's part of, um, actually, of Eastern thought is shame and honor society. And shame is quickly dealt with by, through revenge uh, in order to restore honor to the family or tribe. And so when Shui and his family first arrived in Pakistan, and this was quite a while ago. I, I, I can't tell you the years at least 20, 25 years ago, something like that. They were in Pakistan. And um, they hired a young man to help around the house. And that was kind of common, That you know, you would hire, a, hire somebody to help you with household chores and so on. Well, one day they discovered that um, something was, the whole bunch of stuff was missing. And the boy wasn't around anymore, he didn't come back. And so they went, OK, I think we think it's him. And, I remember one of the items was a, was a portable radio, you know, something a young man would just love. And so they went to the home of this boy and told his family that, you know, the stuff that's missing, told them what, what was missing and said, you know, we're not sure, but we, we think it could be your son. And the parents said, no, no, no our boy wouldn't do that. It's not our son. And so on. So he let it go. He said, a few weeks later, there was a knock on the door. And here's the family. And the uncle has the boy and um, says, can I come in? And they said, you know, Joey said, come on in. And he brought the boy in and threw him on the floor. And said, we found the stolen items in, uh, among our sons. You know, well, this would be the nephew's stuff. And he said, you know, in our culture, if, uh, if he is caught, uh, both lying and stealing, then you can do whatever you want with that young man, um, including killing him. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's typical in that culture. And so Chewy, man of godly character, said, let's be clear. You said I can do anything I want with this young man. And he said, yes, you can do whatever you want. If you want to kill him on the spot, kill him. And then Chewie looked at him and he said, "Okay, I want to forgive him. And I'd like to have him come back to work with us in our home. Well, that just sent shockwaves through this culture, through this family, and in that community. And Chewie said that that one act did more Uh, then everything else they did in their time of ministry in Pakistan did more to um, impact the community in which they were living among the Pashtun. Forgiveness is powerful. Colossians 3.13, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you this morning. For this incredibly important topic, and I pray for the anointing of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you'll speak to each and every one of us, Lord, with conviction where conviction is needed, where encouragement where encouragement is needed, where building up where building up is needed. Father, speak to us. Uh, may your Holy Spirit take what is said today and apply it to each and every one of our hearts. May there be something that we that that is said today, not just in the sermon, but in the whole service, Father, may there be something that will touch each and every heart here this morning, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, the word forgiveness that's used in this particular text is charizome, and it's a religious technical term of a wrong that has been done to someone that you give pardon or you forgive, but this particular word is very interesting because it comes from the Greek word charis, okay? So, and the word charis is the word for grace, or the quality that adds delight or pleasure, graciousness, attractiveness, charm, or a favorable attitude, goodwill in favor. And one commentator, and I think he's right in this, he says that the word charizomai is short-circuited when we, when we translate it as forgive. He said a better word is be gracious. So really what, you know, what it's saying is bear with each other and be gracious. Whatever grievances you may have against one another, be gracious as the Lord was gracious to you. And so you see it, it kind of changes it from just this, this one thing of I forgive, to I forgive plus, I come back with graciousness and mercy and and in a, a sense of forgiveness that, that continues. It's it's a graciousness. Be gracious to them, or show grace to them. There's another uh, Romans eight thirty two, says he do, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also? along with him, and here's the same word used, graciously give us all things. So, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about. Now, there's another word that's used, afimi, and that is uh, actually the word that's used more often, and that word is means forgive, to pardon, cancel debts, that kind of stuff. And Matthew 6.12 says, forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors, as we just as we just read, okay? That's using this other word. So, who are we to forgive? Um, It says, forgive or be gracious then, as the Lord forgave or showed grace to you. We have been shown super abundant grace, and we're to extend super abundant grace to others. So, who are we to forgive? Luke 6. I love, this, I love this text when you really begin to look at it. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. Someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. The, the golden rule. So, who are we to bless? Our enemies. (laughs) Listen to this. Those who hate us. Those who curse us. Those who mistreat us. Someone who strikes you on the cheek. Someone who takes your cloak. They steal from you. Those who ask something from us. They're just, you know, asking for something. And those who take what belongs to us. Again, stealing from us. So, if we are to forgive them... Certainly we're to forgive everything, aren't we? I mean, that's a pretty inclusive list. And, and if we're to love them, then we're certainly to love somebody that just does you know something that, uh, that hurts us. And what are we to do with them? We're to love them, do good to them, bless them, pray for them, turn to them the other cheek, don't stop them from taking our tunic, give to them, don't demand what others steal from you. Again, that's a pretty inclusive list. And then it, it ends with, do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that phrase, um, my I can hear my mother saying it. <laughs> um, and I heard that. That was, just, that was a, a phrase that my mother just drilled into me when I was growing up. Do unto others, you'd have them do, do unto you. That's the golden rule. And I heard that over and over and over again. Matthew seven twelve says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Um, that everything that's written in the law, everything that's written in the New Testament, all the commands and all the things that, you know, that are given to us, they're all summed up in, do unto others, you'd have them do unto you. Um, and love your, love your neighbor as yourself. Probably those two phrases uh, pretty much sum up all our relationships with other people. So forgiveness then is meant to be a way of life, as I mentioned earlier, not an emotional experience. It's not an emotional thing that, you know, we have a, we have a worship service and at the end of the service we ask you to come up and forgive and you you know, maybe you cry and you forgive your aunt that, you know, did something to you. But rather, it's a, it's a way of life is what we're talking about. Because we're not talking about a one-time forgive somebody. We're talking about forgive and then be gracious to them even though they've hurt you. Even though they're imperfect people. And we can forgive with God's help. It's a decision we make, a commitment we make to set our toward forgiveness or being gracious to those who have hurt us. So it's not just a passive kind of thing, it's a very active kind of uh, lifestyle of of actively and continuously um, being gracious to other people, even the ones who have hurt us. So offenses in life can become the catalyst for healing, spiritual growth, and the deepening of relationships or they can become the stimulus for deep wounds, anger, bitterness, and destruction. Isn't that right? And it really depends on what we do with it. When we're hurt, what do we do with it? Do we turn it around and forgive? Now, sometimes we need to go to the person and and work things out and so on, but is is our underlying attitude and motive to forgive? Romans 5 3 through 5 says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. So the way, one of the chief ways I believe that God matures us as people of faith is that, is, is through forgiveness And through that and the suffering that we, you know, the difficulty that we go through, that produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. So, I I believe that we cannot mature and will not mature as believers and have a godly character without times of suffering. Now, the concept of forgiveness flows through the entire Bible. And the greatest story was that the story of Joseph at the close of the book of Genesis. Joseph was the firstborn son of Rachel, Jacob's beloved wife. Um, and uh, he, he was born, he was, uh, he was one of the last born in the, of the brothers. And I remember, there were 12 brothers. He and his brother, Benjamin, were born to Rachel. And Rachel was the one that, that Jacob loved the most. He really loved uh, Rachel, but she couldn't conceive. She didn't conceive for a long time. Finally, she conceived, had Joseph, and then as she was dying, she gave birth to Benjamin. But the other brothers, and, and Jacob made a coat of many colors, so probably a very, a very expensive, beautiful coat that he made for uh, Jacob as a, uh, you know, for him, and, but it was a symbolic that Jacob loved him more than all the others. And so the other brothers got jealous jealous of Joseph. And they sought to kill him. They talked about how, you know, what can we do with this guy, this young brother of ours. Um, And so they're out tending their sheep, you know, out somewhere. And they said, this is our opportunity. Uh, uh, Joseph came up, and uh, Jacob had asked Joseph to go check on the brothers and take them some snacks or whatever he was doing with it. And as Joseph is coming, the brothers say, this is our opportunity, let's kill him. And so they throw him down in a, uh, in a, in a, uh, in a lion's den, or in a, actually was in a, in a hole. And, but Reuben, the oldest, finally talked the older brothers, the other brothers, into letting him go. Joseph was sold into slavery to a caravan of Ishmaelites going down into Egypt. And Joseph went through 13 years of real difficulty. Uh, part of that time, he was in a prison in Egypt. Well, and that's where we pick up the story in Genesis 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if, oh, okay, now, let, me, let me fill a little more of this story. So um, there's a famine in the, in the land of Canaan, and Joseph is down in Egypt. Joseph eventually is released and becomes the second in command in Egypt. And so, um, so the brothers come down in order to get food because of the famine. And it, you know, it goes on that eventually uh, Joseph reveals who he is. At first he he wouldn't, you know, he tried, he hid who he was. Okay. So when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, okay, so eventually Jacob dies down in Egypt, and they say, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? I mean, these brothers, 11 brothers, are his flesh and blood, and they try to kill him. And and to be nice, (laughs) they, they just sell him into slavery. And then, convinced their father that he was killed. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. Another lie. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of God your father. (laughs) Of the God of your father. Um, When the message came to him, Joseph wept. And I believe he He wept because, uh, you know, he held no grudge against them. And he's just weeping that they didn't understand the grace of God more. But Joseph said to them, um, I'm sorry, um, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Now, I love that because he says, you intended to harm me. He's not minimizing, you know, the wrong that they did, the evil that they did. But then he turns around and he says, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So in other words, um, God takes those real difficulties that we have, the suffering that we have, the horrible events that happen to our lives, and and we can turn that around to the place of forgiveness and graciousness through the work of God. But forgiveness is not easy. C.S. Lewis, and I love this statement, he says, forgiveness is a lovely idea until you have something to forgive. <laughs> Characteristic C.S. Lewis style. In other words, it's a great theory. Forgiveness, you know, let's forgive. Oh, I like that theory, and you ought to forgive me. <clears throat> but when I have something to forgive, it's hard work, isn't it? I mean, I don't know about you, but it's. I found it's hard. It's some of the hardest thing that you go through is is just making that decision and staying with it. I am going to forgive. I am going to forgive. I am going to forgive. And adopting a lifestyle of forgiveness. Because we're going to be hurt, sometimes very badly. But every time resentment pops up in us, we have to make a decision to forgive with God's help. Now let me tell you another story. This isn't a personal one, but this is one I got off uh, in some illustrations. There was a woman in South Africa during the time of apartheid, and and this scene, you you pick up in the scene, and it's in an emotionally charged courtroom, listening to white police officers acknowledge the atrocities they had perpetrated in the name of apartheid. So there's a reconciliation. uh, consul. Officer Vandebroek first acknowledged his responsibility in the death of her 18-year-old son. He and the others partied while they burned his body turning it over and over on the fire until it was reduced to ashes. Then eight years later Vanderbrock and others also seized her husband. She was forced to watch as they poured gasoline over his body and ignited the flames. The last words she heard her husband say we forgive them now the scene we're going back to the now to the uh, courtroom. and they're before the south africa's truth and reconciliation commission commission and so they pronounced judgment on vanderbroek and asked her what she wanted okay what do you want and she said i want three things I want Mr. Vandenbroek to take me to the place where they buried, burned my husband's body. I would like to gather up the dust and give him a decent burial. Second, Mr. Vandenbroek took all my family away from me and I still have a, lot of, have a lot of love to give. Twice a month, I would like for him to come to the ghetto and spend a day with me so I can be a mother to him. Isn't that incredible? It's a true story, by the way. Third, I would like Mr. Vanderbroek to know that he is forgiven by God and that I forgive him too. I would like someone to lead me to where he is seated so I can embrace him and he can know my forgiveness is real. As the elderly woman was led across the courtroom, Vanderbroek fainted, <laughs> overwhelmed by her choice of love. Someone began singing Amazing Grace. Eventually, everybody joined in. That's the power of forgiveness. But forgiveness is like spiritual weightlifting. Weight it takes a lot of training and self-discipline to turn around the resentment which wells up within us, isn't it? I, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. It, it's hard work. Ephesians 4.31 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Matthew 5.25, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way. Or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. So not only are we to get rid of all that bitterness, but we're to do it quickly. The quicker we do it, the easier it is before it begins to settle into and, and, and a, root, uh, a root of bitterness well up within us. Hebrews twelve fourteen. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So if we don't forgive, if we don't make that choice to forgive, then a bitter root will begin to grow up within us. But I need to throw a caveat in here that forgiveness is not forgetting. Um, it's, some people say that when we forgive someone, we're to completely forget what was done to us. So the key to forgiveness, according to this idea, is a bad memory. In reality, we won't forgive what has been done to us, but we determine to forgive the offense and move on. But sometimes wisdom leads us to avoid situations and avoid people who um, constantly hurt us. Sometimes the best thing we can do is to, you know, yes, forgive, but but then not, you know, not throw ourselves back into that same situation. Proverbs 12.26, A righteous man is cautious in friendship, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 4.14, do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evil men. Avoid it, do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way. Proverbs 14.7, stay away from a foolish man for you will not find knowledge on his lips. And we as believers, um, sometimes we are to avoid people who constantly hurt us. They're toxic to us. Now, sometimes you can't avoid them. You know, if they're in your family or whatever it is. And that's when we bear with them in love. But forgiving is not forgetting. And then it says, Proverbs, going back to our text, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So how expensive is our forgiveness? Our forgiveness, the model is, as God forgives us. How did God forgive you? Completely and totally and forever. Psalm 103. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, if you go north, you go up to the North Pole, you will eventually start going south. Isn't that right? If you go east, you never do go west. You just keep going east. So as far as the east is from the west, it's, it's, it's infinite. You, you'll never get there. That's how far God removes our transgressions from us. We are forgiven completely and absolutely and totally. Ephesians 2.1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. In other words, you were just like them. You know, we, we look out at people out there and say, you know, uh, Lord, I, I hope I'm not like them. Well, you were. <laughs> That's the whole thing of it. And then it says, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. R.C. Sproul talks in his book, if there is a God, why are there atheists? And he says that... um, He says that the true design of the gaze of God is to bring repentance and by repentance, life. The threat of judgment is not a charade, but an ominous reality when there is no repentance. Then Sproul says... Okay, so he's talking about repentance and then forgiveness. When they sin, they all fear the gaze of God. In other words, um, when somebody, before somebody comes to Christ, and we were the same way, we feared the gaze of God. The worst thing that you can tell somebody is, God sees all your life, everything that you do, every thought that you have, which is true, um, and, and he absolutely and totally Um, sees everything, everything in your life. And then this phrase, when they repent, they all desire to be known of God. Isn't that amazing? So before we repent, before we come to Christ, we fear the gaze of God. As soon as we repent and come to Christ, all we want to do is get to know him better. Isn't that, I mean, you are talking about a miracle. Yeah, we go from that which we feared the most to that which we desire the most. Just like that. That simple act of repentance. When we repent and turn to God, we want to know him better. That which was fearful and unmasking becomes our soy of, so, source of greatest joy all because we really know who God is. That's the God who give, forgives us absolutely, totally, and completely. One of the greatest uh, discourses on forgiveness in the Bible is found in Jesus' words from Matthew 18, 21 through 35. We're not going to read the whole thing, but we'll just summarize it. Peter comes to Jesus, and he says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Now, the Jewish response is seven times. So he says, up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. In other words, an infinite number of times, because it's a lifestyle of being gracious, not just a one-time event. Jesus then went on to tell the parable of the unmerciful servant, who had been forgiven of his enormous debt. Okay? He's in prison. His master calls him to count and says, um, you've, you've got to pay me your debt. That debt was 10,000 talents. One talent was worth about 20 years of a day laborer's wages. All right? So 20 times 10,000 is 200,000 days of labor. I mean, that's a huge sum. And, and so the master says, All right, I forgive you. The servant turns right around and goes to one of his fellow servants. And he insisted that the fellow servant pay him what he owed him, which was twenty, um, which was a hundred denarii, and the denarius was the usual day wage of a day laborer. So we're talking about huge debt versus a hundred days of labor. And Jesus ends the parable with these words: "This is how my heavenly Father will treat you." each of you, unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Now, the point of the parable is not that God has forgiven us of so much that we certainly ought to forgive the, each other. The offense is... Oh, I'm sorry. Pa- point of the parable is that God has forgiven us so much that we certainly ought to forgive one another. If God forgave that much, then for us, whatever somebody does to us is just pales in comparison with what God has forgiven us. The offenses of those who have wronged us pale in comparison with our offenses toward God. And that's the whole idea. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And let me close with another story. Lots of stories this morning. And uh, this one, again, is very personal to us. It's uh, a lady named Suzanne Geski. And and I'm going to quote um, the Wikipedia article, even though we know Suzanne, but I'm going to read, uh, just to get the clarity on it according to the Human rights group, International Christian Concern, all the troubles began on Easter morning, okay? So their five young mes- Muslim men came to it was uh, Aydin's, uh, had a church and they came on Easter morning. And they met with Aiden afterward, and Nejati is his name, and asked him, um, we'd like to come and um, and meet with you. And is there a Bible study or something that we can come during the week? And they said, oh, yeah, sure. We've got a Wednesday group, Wednesday morning. So on April 18, and by the way, that's, there was a, uh, yeah, go ahead. I think there's a, there's a picture of these. Five men, five young men. Okay, anyway. They're there. Okay, those are the actual men. And so um, so on April 18, 2007, um, Nejati, Ur, and Tilman were at a Bible study at the Zirve Publishing House in Malacca, Turkey. And these five young men who had been there at Easter came to that Bible study and after Aiden read a chapter from the Bible, the young men tied Yuxel, Idin and Geski's hands and feet to chairs as they videotaped their work on their cell phones. After, afterward, they heavily tortured them uh, and then slit their throats, and all three of them died. Now, as they're tied up, Gokhan Talas and. Um, a young man that we knew we knew real well um, was, worked for us in the Timothy Project. And he came with his wife to the office. Um, and they, he was late to the Bible study, and so he showed up. And he could hear something going on inside, so he called Ur and asked him what's going on. Well, Ur said, oh, we're at a hotel. You know, we're fine. Uh, but, but Gokkan said, uh, I don't think they're fine. And so he called the police, and the police came, And they say that that's, it was after the police came that they slit their throats. Um, And and the, the, of course, the murderers didn't get away because the police were right there. Well, soon after the murder of her husband, okay, let me explain this. Thielmann was German, and his wife, Suzanne, um, they they were on the mission field there, and Soon after she, that murder, a Turkish reporter asked her what her reaction to the murder was. And her, her response was that she forgave all five of those. This is, remember, this is right after this event happened. Her husband is dead, and she says, I forgive them. And it is said, uh, and that that statement of hers just hit every Turkish newspaper. I remember well the event. Uh, hit every Turkish newspaper in the country. That this woman actually forgave those five young Muslim men. Well, sometime after the murder, Suzanne took her three children and left Malachia. But about a year later returned back to Malachia. So she went right back, just like Elizabeth Elliot did, went right back to the people who had murdered her husband. and said, um, And they asked her, why did you go back? And she said, we've been living here for years. When we first came here, one of my children was three years old. The other was 11. My third child was born here in the southern province of Adana. And I need to uh, kind of set some stage here. Adana is out in the east, eastern part of Turkey, which is very traditional. It's the more backward you know, section of the country. She says, we've lived a life here. All our friends and acquaintances are here. Returning to Germany does not make any sense to us after all these years. And my children did not want to leave either. Well, this became very personal. to We didn't know uh, Suzanne. Um, and and Thielman. Uh, we knew Nejati, but we didn't know uh, we we didn't know um, or, or uh, Suzanne. But about a year later, um, we traveled back to Malachi in, in 2009, and met Suzanne for the first time. Now, when we you know we we, we knew we were going to Malachi, and we, we went there was a a Bible study, and so we went to the Bible study. And going into that Bible study, I thought for sure, you know, I was going to, we're going to run across this woman that's kind of, you know, withdrawn and struggling with bitterness and this kind of stuff. And I was absolutely blown away. She was just beaming, radiant, vibrant, joyful, enthusiastic, with an incredible sense of humor. And I just thought at the time, That is the power of forgiveness. When we forgive, God can work his grace in our own lives. As God's people, we've been forgiven of a huge debt. So we need to turn that around and forgive as the Lord forgave completely and absolutely. You cannot and we cannot do this in our own strength. This is supernatural stuff. This is hard work. This is spiritual weightlifting. It's a divine miracle to forgive the way that God forgives. And that's exactly what Suzanne did. Retribution, revenge, factionalism, and hatred are far easier when we're hurt badly. But forgiveness is a choice we make. Like Chewie, and the South African woman and Suzanne, we choose life. We choose forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the miracle that there is in forgiveness. And we thank you that you take that that very, um, uh, it seems like almost an insignificant thing, Lord. An insignificant attitude. And yet, Lord, it's the foundation of our growth in the Christian life. And I pray this morning, if there's anybody, Lord, that any of us need to forgive that we will, we will not just have an emotional reaction and say, oh, that's a wonderful idea, but we will set our course. We will set our lives and say, God, we are going to set our lives to forgive that person. We know it's not going to be easy. We know it's going to be a, 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 a process. Father, we set our course to forgive completely and absolutely the way that you forgive. Amen.
2: What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. and shield thee thou will find a solace there thou will find a solace there
0: let us pray heavenly father we thank you for the forgiveness you have given us we thank you for the graciousness that you show us Lord, let us take these lessons. Let us be forgiveful. Let us forgive, let us be gracious. Let us not carry the burden of hate, the burden of anger. Lord, when we truly get to that same forgiveness and that same graciousness, as the stories we've heard today about, about these folks, there was a great lifting of those burdens from them, Lord. So, and it was through that graciousness and forgiveness that you taught them. Lord, we, we want to remember that and make this a part of our everyday lives. This we ask in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen.
3: Amen.
2: God be with we are